0: Thank you for being here this morning. Watch this video as we continue on in the series. Somebody doesn't tell me, I'm going to start screaming. It's Eric and Megan. You're not getting married, it's just talk. Did everybody know about this but me? There's nothing to know, it's just gossip. So, what is a scuttlebutt? Anybody hear anything? Nothing? I got a little something-something. I don't know if I should say. So, just keep it to yourself then. Stanley is having a midlife crisis. Stanley is having an affair. What? I am very happy right now, thrilled perhaps to be a part of the office, to be a part of the conversation. When you have somebody's attention and their eyes are lighting up because they are very interested in what you have to say, that is a great feeling. And I experienced that firsthand today. It is wonderful to be the center of attention. Did you hear about Angela? That's pretty weird. Yeah what do you mean exactly? Well, the fact that she apparently is dating an 81-year-old billionaire was a quiz on the turnpike. Really? Uh Uh-huh. Well, what? How do you untell something? You can't. You can't put words back in your mouth. Kelly has an eating disorder. Yeah. She always eats my lunch. Anorexia. She's She's an anorexia type. We should do something. Nothing can be done. Just have to tell everybody, you know, for the best, I guess. Sure, your right Pam's pregnant. <laughs> How far along is Pam? A few months. That's why they're rushing away. Okay. I can't move everything here. I am so happy you're eating again. What? No! Why don't you tell Stanley that I have asthma? Because I don't. If it gets out, they won't let me scuba. What? You think I'm the voice of the Taco Bell dog? Hey, has everyone heard a crazy rumor about themselves today? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Let's discredit these rumors. Who's been saying that there's another person inside of me working me with controls? I heard
1: that from Andy. I heard it from Aaron. Whoa.
0: I heard it from Michael.
1: Well, this morning in our series, God Tweets, we are going to look at the problem of gossip. It affects families. It affects businesses. Even the songs we, we played earlier, whether it was Hurt It Through the Grapevine, whether it was "Billy Jean, whether it was Yesterday, Longing for Times Before Gossip and Things Come Into Our Life. Gossip is a serious problem. And God gives such practical wisdom. Somebody even
0: tell me I'm listening.
1: screaming. Oh my goodness, he's still talking. And God gives such practical wisdom on how to deal with our communication. And so we're looking at these little tweets that God has in the Bible, little tweets that we can apply to our lives. When I think about gossip, I think of a lot of quotes I pulled up. One is, it's not gossip if it's true, right? That's what people say. And you know, you've been on the receiving end of that and destroyed something you're working on because somebody said something inappropriately. Or how about this one? If you haven't got anything nice to say about anyone, well, come sit next to me. I'd love to hear it. The, the key to good eavesdropping not get caught. Or uh, I love Andy Warhol. I have a social disease. I have to go out every night. If I stay home one night, I start spreading rumors to my dogs. Or here's another one. In small towns, gossip travels at the speed of boredom. Because when people are bored, they talk about other people. She didn't say that it's a secret, so it's not gossip. Or one of the worst places to find gossip is in the church, because here's how the church does it. I'm only telling you this so you can pray for her. And it's no wonder that people get turned off by religion, by church, because gossip is such a destructive force. We've all felt it. We've all been on the receiving end of it. But we've also all contributed to it. So I want to talk about some real healthy ways that we can deal with that. You know, the Bible has a definition of gossip I think it's very helpful. It can be summarized this way: When you talk about someone, what you wouldn't say to to someone. It's real simple. If you would say something about someone that you wouldn't say to someone, man, I feel like I'm done done something bad. If you would say something about someone that you wouldn't say to someone, you're probably venturing into the area of gossip. In fact, the Bible has lots of verses about this that give real practical wisdom. It describes gossip as a secret-telling, fire-fueling, relationship-breaking kind of communication. We fuel the fire of gossip or secrets or inappropriate communication. Uh, Then we begin to tell uh, inappropriate things to other people, and it ends up causing trouble. Another way to think about it is that we should only repeat to someone what we would retweet to someone. So if we follow these three tweets we're going to look at, it's going to, one, cause less trouble in your relationships. Two, it's going to save time and money, because so much time and money is wasted in organizations chasing down or sideways energy related to gossip. So let's begin with the first one. The first real practical wisdom God gives is called put out the fire. So if you got a tweet from God, it would say put out the fire, and the 140 characters would come from the book of Proverbs. It says this, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. So what makes gossip work, what makes it propitiate, is when people add fire to it. They add wood to the fire. And so every time we listen to gossip or contribute to it or say, "Yeah, you know, I've always wondered if that might be true, we're adding fuel to it. And the term used of gossip in the Bible is a tailbearer. It's the word in Hebrew for a merchant or somebody who's in commerce, a real estate agent. It's somebody who is a merchant, but what they sell, what they're selling to you is information. And they're peddling in information, and they'll give you a little information if you'll give them your, your attention. And we all get tempted by this. We all get pulled into this because it feels kind of cool to know that you're in the know. When somebody says, hey, I heard something. Oh, really? I'd like to know something. I want to be in the know. I don't want to be in the outside. Right? So the first wisdom that uh, the scriptures give us is to put out the fire, to not add wood, to not participate in or be part of that, because where there is no merchant of information, somebody selling little pieces of secrets, strife ceases. Which means one of the greatest ways that we can get rid of strife in our families, get rid of strife in our organizations, is to pull away the fire. When you see gossip happening, address it, stop it, pull back on it, and put it to an end, stop the fire of it. Some questions I like to ask myself when I'm looking at the area of gossip. Here's just a couple I jotted down. Number one, when I hear something, did I personally check out the facts? Because if I didn't, I'm not going to add fuel to this or wood to this. Number two, did I talk directly to the person? Will this bring people together? Or or another way to say this, will this promote unhealthy communication or will this promote Healthy conflict. This isn't about avoiding conflict. It's about promoting healthy conflict where two people come, two organizations come, two people in a family come, and they deal with their issue face to face rather than triangulating. Here's another way the Bible says to put out the fire it says, A a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. And in contrast, the real issue when we gossip is that we have an unfaithful spirit. We're unfaithful to keep our word. We're unfaithful to be honest or trustworthy. And so what the Bible's appealing to us or calling to us is to have a faithful spirit because a faithful spirit conceals what's appropriate. It doesn't tell everybody everything, even if it is true. Because we ask, is this going to build people up, promote healthy relationships, or is this going to create unhealthy division? Which is why in this series, I've talked about the communicable attributes of God. So a little little theology lesson here. Uh, Under the theology of God, it's called theology proper. We describe that God has different characteristics. Some of them are communicable, like you can catch them, and some are incommunicable. So the God of the Bible is described as all-powerful, he's omniscient, he's omnipotent. And these are things
0: that
1: that are incommunicable. You don't get around God and suddenly you become omnipresent. But he has other characteristics that are communicable you get to know the God you get to learn about this God you study him and you catch his spirit when you find out how faithful God is you know who knows all your secrets God does and he doesn't spread them to you he doesn't spread them to other people in fact God is so gentle he's so kind he's so faithful that even when he's trying to grow us when he's trying to grow me he doesn't even reveal all my secrets to me at once because I couldn't handle it there's so much broken in me that if God told me everything that's broken in me at once I'd be like So God will just bring like one little secret out and say, hey, Chad, here's something I want to deal with today. Your communication, your gossip, uh, your pride, or or an unteachable spirit. And God will just real faithfully say, and I'm doing this not out of destruction, I'm not because I'm I'm angry at you, I'm doing this because I'm a loving father. And I want to reveal this secret so that I can work with you to develop that area of character. And so as you get to know how God deals with us as a father, as a friend, as 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 our God... You begin to say, he's so faithful with my secrets. I want to be faithful with other people's secrets. Song with a buddy of mine. He runs a, he's a CEO of a large company here in Cincinnati. He said, one of the ways he deals with this idea of not adding fuel to the fire is that every time somebody comes into his office from one particular division of his company, he'll say, I guess now we got to talk about a problem. Oh, great. Let's talk. Let's get to the bottom. I love fixing problems. And his employee will say, well, let me tell you, Tom over in finance, And as soon as he finishes the sentence, he'll say, wow, this sounds serious. Let me call Tom. Hey, Tom, could you come in here so the two of us could have a chat, the three of us could have a chat? You know what happens, don't you? Immediately, the demeanor changes. The same guy who was saying, Tom over in accounting, Tom walks in the room. Yeah, Tom and I are trying to work through some things, and we thought it would be helpful to have you. Right, the tone changes. That in organizations, when you catch gossip and you see fuel, when you see people adding wood to it and strife's going to go up, Immediately, he said, as soon as it's possible in your organization, call the two people together and have them talk directly. And when you do that, you inspire trust in the organization. You keep fuel off the fire of of strife. And you show that you as a leader, you as a parent, you as a, a member of the family, can be trusted to honor the different people in the situation. Put the fire out. Because when you're on the receiving end of it, our our family went through a time five or six years ago where some gossip was spread about uh, some members of our family, and it was just a difficult time. I remember having several family meetings. We're sitting around the family table, and as with most gossip, it started off with a little bit of truth and a whole bunch of exaggeration and lies. And yet you can't catch up to the snowball of how gossip grows and grows and grows, and by the time you get to the end, you're dealing with this caricature of the real issue. And it was so painful... They have to coach your kids and your family through this kind of war zone. And when you feel the sting of gossip, of people piling on the wood on a fire that's burning you or your reputation up, you suddenly get a little more serious about not throwing fire on somebody else's reputation. ABC did a, a news story, I think it was back in 2013. It was about these four employees at a company in New Hampshire. And they started gossiping, they'd heard a rumor that one of the officials Uh, had started an inappropriate relationship with a woman in the company. And so they're talking about it. And they got fired because of it. It turned out it was totally untrue, and it was destroying this person's reputation and making inappropriate accusations. And they were flabbergasted. Between the four of them, there were 46 years of experience at that particular company. And yet the company said, we do not tolerate gossip. And they were so ticked off that some casual little comment about someone could get them fired until... ABC showed up, and now they were the subject of gossip because now the whole world knows them as the four gossipers who got fired in New Hampshire. It's amazing how things change when you're on the receiving end of something. You suddenly begin to take what you do seriously, which is why the Bible says, first of all, to put out the fire. But number two, it says to keep your distance from gossip. Keep your distance. second tweet God would have if he sent it out would be this. Keep your distance. He who goes about as a talebearer, a merchant of information, reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. Now, I love how practical this is because one of the things that draws us into gossip is that we get flattered by the lips of the gossip. In other words, the gossip comes and says,
0: Hey, do you want to hear something?
1: Well, I want to hear something. Do you want to know something other people don't know? I'd love to know something other people don't know, right? I, I suddenly feel I'm important. I feel like whatever this is important, I'm in the know, I'm in the zone. And it's that flattery, that, that immediate payoff, it's feeling like I'm getting access to something other people don't, that draws me in. And the Bible says don't associate with that. Even though there's this, this flattery that comes with it, the flattery you get will be overwhelmed by the strife that comes alongside so set appropriate boundaries by not associating with gossip in your life. Why do you do that? You know, I was talking with my daughter. She's turned 17. And so part of that is always <laughs> trying to negotiate the gossip that's out there. And I said, honey, don't try not to say anything about someone you wouldn't say to someone. Because the minute you say something, it will get back and it will cause strife. One of her best friends uh, was talking to her a few months ago and said, I wouldn't gossip about you. She says, well, why not? She says, because I've never heard you gossip about anyone else. I'm not sure if my daughter's never gossiped about anybody else, but she has a reputation of being trustworthy. And for many of us, the reason it's hard for us to open up about things we're struggling with, the reason it's hard to find a safe place to be honest with things going on in our marriage or our life or things we're trying to make progress in, is because there's no safe place. Who knows if there's a news reporter here? Who knows if I'm honest about something that I'm, that I'm sharing, if it's not going to be used in an inappropriate way? So one of the things we find very important and very high value of our church is confidentiality and privacy. We want to create a safe place where you can know that wherever you are in your journey, whatever it is you're struggling with, whether it's a thought, a belief, or a habit, this is a safe place to be honest. And you're, you're with other people who also have brokenness and, and are working on their own issues. And so as we take a stand to keep our distance from gossip, it actually creates a whole environment of trust. I had a boss years ago and uh, he had gossip happening in his family all the time. Now I know you don't have this in your family, but but you can just imagine. Put on your thinking cap for a moment. His mother had a tendency to call him up as an adult and say stuff about his brother so she would invent a problem that then she had to solve. Now, you have to imagine this. I'm sure it doesn't happen to your family. but go something like this. Hey, Peter! Yes? Did you know Tom's mad at you? No, Tom's mad at me? I'll give him a call. Oh, don't call him. Don't call him. Because uh, when I talked to him the other day, I could just tell by the tone he used that, that what you said last Thanksgiving, what I say last Thanksgiving? I'm not sure. I'm not really sure. But it was clear that he's still holding a grudge about it. Really? Should I call him? Don't call him. I'll take care of it. Right? And there it is. Triangles. The gossip lures you in with information, then solves the very problem. And he realized, I've got to not associate with this pattern. So he called up his brother, who was 30-something at the time. He said, Tom, I got a deal for you. I'm not going to talk to mom about you if you don't talk to mom about me. And I promise, if I ever have anything concerned about you, I will call you directly, and vice versa. And they agreed. Well, what you can imagine is, initially, did that go well or bad? Bad, because if you have a pattern in your in your family, in your company, a division of gossip, it's hard to take a stand. In fact, here's why it's hard to to not associate with gossip. At least I'll tell you for me: if I'm not in the circle of gossip, what's happening? I'm being gossiped about, right? So I want to be there in the circle so at least I know they're not talking about me. So when you begin to say, hey, I just don't feel real, you know, I don't feel like I want to engage in that. So you step out of that circle. What happens? I'll tell you what happens. Can you believe Chad, Mr. Holier than now? He now thinks that he's going to church. He can't talk to us. He thinks he's better than us. Gossip, gossip, gossip. And so I can feel it, right? Because I used to be in the circle. I remember them gossiping at other people. So I'm like, well, oh, step? That's not really me. Not not really true, right? And so it's hard to step out because you know, now that you're not in it, you're being talked about like everybody else was talked about. So it always gets worse before it gets better. But here's how it got better. Initially, Mom was mad. She said, hey, did you hear about Tom? You know what, Tom and I talked, and we decided that if we have any issues with each other, we're going to talk directly. Because, Mom, we don't want to put you in this place. (laughs) He was on the phone. He said, and... And mom suddenly, this is how she got her sense of worth, her sense of value, was was triangulating, peddling this information. And after they went through a phase where mom was really mad, really, that they'd set these boundaries, he said, then, after you know, several months of this, our relationship changed. When we talked to mom, we actually talked about real stuff. How's life? What's going on? What do you care about? What's the most fun thing you've done recently? Instead of those conversations with mom being exhausting, they became very productive. They became real conversations. I remember, uh, this was about 12 years ago, I was asked to do, a, I'm a video producer, I was doing some uh, video production for a company. He owned a large farm that he would bring companies and their employees out to, about 30,000 people at a time would come out and enjoy the farm and the, the lake and such. So he asked me to come out and do a video project, which I did, and uh, it was on a Friday, and over the weekend I'd heard rumors that he was mad at me. And I thought, well, how fast must these rumors be going that it made it back to me. Usually it takes you know, weeks, days, years. Sometimes you never find out how people are slandering you. So it came to me that he was mad and felt like I had not done the job I promised and, and had not fulfilled my duty. And, and boy, I took it seriously. And so my initial reaction was, can you believe what he said about me? And you know, My neat reaction was to start gossiping about him. But I'm like, no, no, no. Talk to him directly. So I put in a quick phone call. He wouldn't take the call, put in a couple emails, wouldn't take the email. So I drove over to his his business when it opened on Monday. And as I walked up, he stepped out of his door and he saw me. He's like, I said, could I just have a minute? He said, I'll give you one minute. I said, I understand that you're upset. Uh, I've heard some rumors. I don't even know if they're true, that you're bothered because you feel like I didn't fulfill what I said I was going to do. I said, I want you, I want to be the first to apologize. I don't know what's going on, but I, I want to apologize for that and I want to make it right, whatever it is. The whole tone changed. Oh, because all of a sudden, this was not Chad, the, the caricature he'd made in his mind. This was Chad the person. This was not Chad the punchline. This was Chad the person. He said, well, you told me you'd have this project ready and that you'd give it to me. And I don't have it in my hand. I said, that was Friday. I said, I could have given you the rough footage. I thought you wanted a final produced video. It usually takes weeks or months. I did it over the weekend. And, and by the way, I brought it with me. I said, do you mind if we look at it together? So I remember we sat in his office and he put it in the DVD player. He's like, well, this is fantastic. This is more than I even expected. This is far better than I even imagined. And it took me 30 hours to produce it, which is actually a pretty short window, <laughs> as video production goes. He said, oh, I'm sorry. And what was a miscommunication of expectation, he thought he wanted the rough footage on Friday, and I thought he wanted a final product, and I rushed to get it by Monday created gossip and tension, but by dealing with it directly and not associating with the gossip, it brought that strife down. So keep your distance from gossip. The third thing is to say here what you'd say there. I mean, just, that's so simple. Just As you're talking, say, would I say here what I'd say there if they were with me? I love this little tweet from Titus. It says, Speak evil of no one. Be peaceable. Be gentle. Show all humility to all men. Again, I know you don't struggle with this. so This is just a safe place for me to share. Speak evil of no one. I've got a mental list of who it is appropriate to gossip about. Now, I know you don't. Now, I'm not going to gossip about my friends or I'm not going to gossip about my family or my wife or my kids. But there are certain people that I give myself permission to gossip about because they are so ornery and they are so malicious and they are so frustrating. And you know what they did to me? In light of what they did for me, they actually deserve what it is I'm giving to them. Right? Now, maybe you have somebody like that. Which is why the Bible is challenging us to speak evil of no one. To say, man, I really do have a list. Now, now what's going to motivate you to speak evil of no one? Let me go back to the communicable attributes of God. God says that in our hearts, the very root of what makes us gossip, that makes us unkind, that makes us impatient, is this evil, broken heart. And God would be fully justified in taking us as as evildoers and to spread rumors about us, to condemn us, to judge us. God would be in his right mind if he did that, if he was fair, based on our conscience, our secrets, our thoughts. But God instead doesn't speak evil. Of us. Instead, he chose to come to earth and die on a cross for us. And when you realize that I was an evil person that God didn't speak evil of, then all of a sudden you've got some humility that you turn to others speaking evil about you and you say, Well, I want to do unto others as God has done unto me. And you eliminate the list. You start asking yourself, How can I be peaceable? How can I handle the situation in a way that will bring peace and harmony to the organization, to our family? And I ask myself, what tone am I using? Is my tone one that is gentle? Because sometimes, because it doesn't mean you don't deal with conflict. When you're dealing with conflict, sometimes I'm dealing with conflict because I want to tell somebody I'm mad, which is different from I want to help them develop. As a manager, isn't that true? Sometimes you're like, we're not going to stand for this around here. This is totally inappropriate. This is wrong. Well, you can do that. But what if you want to deal with the same root problem, but say, my goal is to develop that person. How can I do this in a gentle way? You know? What happened last week is inappropriate. Let's talk what happened. I come to it with a spirit of humility. Hey, maybe I misunderstood this. Hey, maybe I don't have all the facts right. So let me tell you what I've heard. Let me tell you how this came across. And I want to give you a chance to clarify. But we really do need to deal with this issue. Do you see how that tone, that humility, that gentleness makes it easier to have those conversations? Where do you get that tone? Where do you get all humility to all men? Especially if you're in a C-suite, you're in a culture that's obsessed with often power, obsessed with selling yourself, promoting yourself, and yet you look at the God of the Bible and you say, whatever C-suite I'm in, God's in the ultimate C-suite And the message of the Bible is the God that controls the world. The God who owns the the cattle on a thousand hills. You know what this God does? He comes to earth in the form of a man. You say, I don't believe Jesus is God. Well, that's all right. Let me tell you why you'd want to. Jesus comes and says, I am God in the flesh. And I could come and demand my own way. Don't you know I'm God? Don't you know I'm in the ultimate C-suite? Let me tell you what you owe me. Instead, the God of the Bible shows up in the form of humankind. He pulls up his sleeves. He says, could I wash your feet? I don't want anybody to wash my feet now, and I've got pretty clean feet. I've got socks now. We we cover the embarrassing parts, the stinky parts of our life. Even worse in those days, when you traveled hundreds of miles, when you didn't have the kind of medicines and and cleanliness that we have, and Jesus sits down while while his disciples, by the way, are arguing about their titles. Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? I am. Well, I think I've done more than you have. And Jesus bows down in humility and says, how can I serve you? I want to wash the parts of your life you keep concealed. I want to cleanse the parts of your life that have given you pain that you use. I want to wash the dirtiest parts of you. Only servants do that. I love to serve, Jesus says. I've come not to be served, but to serve. When you begin to see a C-suite kind of God, who's willing to come and serve with humility like that, that begins to change your heart in such a way that you catch his communicable attributes. You say, well, if he was willing to do that for me, how could I not do that with the people he's entrusted to me? How could I not do that? I remember if you're watching uh, David Letterman a few months ago, David Letterman was talking to Barbara Walters and he was sharing how he had a list. In general, he'd say, don't gossip, but he didn't have a list of gossip about no one. He was embarrassed when the article came out about Monica Olinsky, where she shared in Vanity Fair how she was almost suicidal because she became a natural punchline. She became an international joke. And he was apologizing to Barbara. He said, as he read this article, he just felt horrible that he had contributed to a young woman almost committing suicide because of the punchlines he used over and over and over and over with her. Of course, it was a few years ago that he had a scandal going on of, of inappropriate relationships. And, and having felt the gossip going on about him, some, some humility had come into him and in realizing what he had done. Speak evil of no one, whoever's on your list. Be peaceable. Started a business guy, he uh, was working with the owners of a company. And the owners had hired a new guy to be his replacement, a younger guy. And so he had moved to consultant mode. And the young guy who took his place said, hey, could you help me out? I, I love some coaching on how to deal with this unique situation that you were involved in. He says, well, sure, I'd love to help. And so I asked him give him some coaching about the unique idiosyncrasies about the owners and some things they could do or not do or some things that didn't work well or, or, or strategies that, that weren't always helpful. The young guy went back and disclosed all that to the owners. Well, here's what your last consultant said to do. Well, the owners, hearing this third person... Flew into town for a meeting, right? They flew into town for a meeting So said, we need to talk about this. We understand from the young guy that you've got a problem with us. Which he didn't. But the tensity we're in this meeting, and the, the, the intensity, the anger, the assumptions, the gossip was all there. And my friend Mike said he just felt like God was telling him to start the conversation with humility. So he turned to the young guy and said, listen, I'm not sure exactly why we're here. He said, I want you to know that I've done anything to offend you or to offend the owners. I would love to own up to that. And I'd love to, uh, to accept that, ask for your apology, and, and to find out how I can make it right. That demeanor was such a unexpected reaction. I said, well, what happened after that? He goes, you know, honestly, the tension all went out of the room, and we didn't even talk about it. We went on to just talk about business, because that humility of being willing to address it. Nobody really had any specifics. They just had heard something generally and it just diffused the situation. Be humble. Be peaceable. Be gentle. I heard another guy who's a COO. He, uh, his family owns a, a house on, a, on an island down in the Florida area. So he called up his sister who's the, take, uh, keep the, the keeper of the house and said, hey, we'd like to bring our family down and use it in July Hey, that sounds great. And so this particular house, you fly into the island and then you actually have to uh, take a golf cart you know, to the actual uh, house and then they have a boat there. So they had all reserved, got the reservations in. And just a few weeks before they're going to head down there, maybe it was a month beforehand, she calls up and says, hey, I just want to let you know I sold the house. You sold the house? The one we're going to be in vacation with in a few weeks? Yeah. I just, it was too much of a hassle. And in one decision that somebody else made... Suddenly his vacation went from zero, using the family house, to $7,000. He had to change the flights, he had to change the reservations, he had to rent a house for the week, he had to rent a boat for the week, he had to rent a golf cart for the week. And in one moment, $7,000, my buddy said to him, he says, well, what what'd you do about that? Did you read her the riot act? He said, you know, I rented another place, a little bigger than than that one, and uh, I called up my sister. And I asked if she and her husband wanted to enjoy vacation with us that week. Our friend's like, what? Why in the world would you do that? He said, well, I don't know. I didn't think much of it. In fact, my dad thought I would be mad and not talk to her for a year or ten years. But I just decided that our relationship was more important than the house. You might say, that is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. What would motivate somebody to do this? Well, this guy is a follower of Christ and he believes that God pursues us and is generous to us when we do dumb, stupid, inappropriate, self-centered things. It's like the message of the Bible, you might say, well, gossip. Why don't make a big deal about gossip until you're on the receiving end of it? That our gossip was so costly. The devastating impact of the words we say on people that God loves is so severe that not at a $7,000 cost, but at a ultimate cost, Jesus Christ had to die on a cross and he is paying for on the cross. God saying, I lost my son. I paid my son who had to take the punishment for what you've done wrong, for your words of gossip were so severe. My son had to die for that. And instead of God getting kicked off at us and saying, so don't you ever come around here again. Don't let that happen again. God pays for everything we've done wrong. And then he says, you know what? Can I, can I ask you something? Do you mind vacationing with me? I'm the one that cost you your son. Yeah, yeah, but I've got this, this vacation place that you don't want to miss. I've been working out for about 6,000 years up in heaven. It is perfect. We're going to enjoy a relationship together. We're going to enjoy friendship together. We're going to have so much fun. We're going to recreate together. We're going to enjoy each other. And I have custom built this thing for you. You, my enemy. You who, 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 who cost me my son. I made this place for you. Would you vacation with me? You see, that that is too good to be true. Yep. That's why it's called the good news of the Bible. And if that is true, that God treats his enemies that way, that God demonstrates his love for us, in that while we were yet wrongdoers, he died for us, then you're able to now look at people who do wrong to you and say, well, I still don't like it. It's still wrong. I might need to set some boundaries. But I can forgive people like I've been forgiven. I can love people like I've been loved. And that is the power that God offers us. Which is why we only speak about someone, but we speak to someone. Because we want that faithful spirit that God has in us. As we leave today, I just want to give you three of these tweets to think about. To have on on the front of your mind as you go through your week. Is this the week that you want to put out the fire? You know that you have contributed to adding wood to the fire. You want to say, this is the day, God, I want you to remind me that you didn't pour on the fire to me. And this week, I need to have some conversations or stop having some conversations this week. Make this the week that you change. Or maybe this is the week that uh, you want to keep your distance. You want to set some appropriate boundaries and have some conversations with folks to say, I want to step out of that. You want to find out what it is that sucks you in and make a step back, or maybe you're going to commit to whatever you say this week, you're just going to think to yourself, "What did I say here, what I'd say there? What did I say to this person, what I'm saying about this person?" Because if you do, you will save yourself so much pain, and you will improve your relationships and the trust in your organization. I'll give you an example. I was sitting down seven or eight years ago and I was ticked off don't even remember what I was ticked off about I just remember the emotion I was so mad I got out my email and I'm writing this thing so and so did such and such and I was so quick not believing I never would have done this thing to so so you, so, and I'm just out of adrenaline going I'm gross. it's the best email I've ever written in my life I'm telling this person about what that person did and I'm all done ooh I put an exclamation point lots of exclamation points lots of unhappy faces angry faces in fact and then I go to hit send and just as I go to hit send going, I went I, wait I spell check it And then I looked up at the send line. I was about to send it to the person I was gossiping about. And the room suddenly closed in on me. And I slowly moved my mouse up to the delete button because I went, if I wouldn't send this to them, why would I send it about them? This should not be an email. This should be a prayer. God, help me deal with the bitterness that I'm having toward this person. If you will practice these three tweets, you will save yourself from those moments and all of the ramifications relationally and financially that occur because of it. In fact, I'd like you to hear the story of a guy who got to feel that firsthand. He was deaf. And he got to feel the sting for years. Now folks who talked about him behind his back.
2: Let's watch. I think I deal with uh, uh, the same disappointments people deal with when they don't uh, don't see things work the way they want them to work, or they don't see God work the way, or to the degree that they want God to work. They know He's working, but but they'd want to see Him do so much more. when I was a young boy, I I lost my hearing. I had some illness and it involved a high fever and and I I lost about 75 to 80 percent of my hearing. By the time I was in the first grade, my teachers recognized that I wasn't hearing like everybody else. and went through a lot of tests and consequently learned that I'd had uh, a hearing loss. It was irreversible. So I'm profoundly deaf, actually. Legally deaf, you might say. At that time, I was equipped with hearing aids and the whole apparatus thing of the young boy that, that to me didn't make sense as I was growing up to kind of be the object of ridicule and not measuring up to everybody else and, and uh, to to think that somehow something was inflicted on me that God could have stopped to change that or he could have uh, had that affliction happen to somebody else maybe um, but it happened to me. I didn't suffer physically. It wasn't that. It was was kind of a suffering inside. It was a suffering of really not knowing the purpose for it and wondering if God loved me. Uh, And then struggling with people, their reaction to me. My struggle with that had to do with uh, knowing who I was and, and having an identity issue, knowing where God was with all this and why didn't he change that. I remember praying many times saying, God, why don't you take this off of me? You can change this. You can change this immediately. And, uh, but God never did that. As I began to walk with him, I began to realize that he was going to give me the ability to deal with it and to handle it. And so as I went through school and tried to you know, compete in classrooms where I couldn't hear the teacher, compete on compete on the athletic field where I couldn't hear the the signals couldn't hear the whistle being blown, etc. Uh, I began to trust Him more to help me where I couldn't do it. And in time, that became a way of life. Uh, in time, I learned to speak more clearly. Uh, even today, I can't hear the words that I speak, and so I have to practice speaking. Uh, but I find that He gives me the grace and the strength to do that. It took a lot of time, but in time, I began to look around me and see people that were... In worse shape than I was, and, and not feel sorry for myself anymore, but realize that maybe I could encourage them. So that's the, that's the way that began to unfold. I began to see the comfort that God gave me, the help He gave me, and the reliance I knew I could count on when I relied on Him, His power would be there to turn around and encourage other people. For me, that was a difference maker because it, uh, it was able to, it was me able to say to other people, God can help you do this because I've been there and I'm, I'm experiencing that right now and I can tell you you can experience it too. You know, God may never take that hearing loss away from me but I really have come to the point of saying even though I know he can I'm not sure if I have the choice that I would ask him to take the hearing loss away. I'm not sure I would ask him to restore it fully because then a whole door of ministry would be closed. Then a whole uh, a whole avenue of encouraging people would not really be there anymore and uh so i'm just going to leave it up to him i'm just going to keep walking the way i'm walking
1: i love the forgiveness he was able to have and the strength he was able to pull upon so we leave today i just want to give you a chance to do two things maybe you're saying boy i've been really been convicted i really want to feel that forgiveness i want to give you a chance to articulate to god that you want to ask forgiveness for an area of someone you've gossiped about or maybe you've been gossiped about and you need a sense of god's healing to heal some of those scars. So just take a moment and do that. If you want to bow your heads with me and maybe just say something like this to God. Say, God, I want to ask forgiveness for adding fuel to the fire. And be specific about who's the person you know you've been doing it. Or maybe it's the situation, God, whenever I go to the country club, whenever I'm on the golf course, God, I confess, that's what I do. Forgive me. Maybe today you want to ask God for boldness. God, give me the boldness to address the gossip in my organization or in my family. Or maybe you just want to honestly say, God, my heart is scratched up. Will you come heal it and fix it from the scars of what people have said about me? God, we thank you that you're a forgiving, healing, and personal God. And we thank you for the place of this horizon where we can be honest about what it is we struggle with and what we've done. And we thank you that you draw near to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today. We would love to greet you if you'd like. Third door on your left, the hearth room. If you came prepared to give, there's some offering boxes as well. Thanks again. See you next week.